Oh, Father, we're at a time of year where we're celebrating your coming into this world. And Lord, there's so many things that are accomplished in our lives because Jesus entered this world. And one of those is, is prayer. We have the opportunity to talk with you. And your word tells us that because of Jesus, as we enter into your presence, we don't have to come in fear and shame. Actually, says we can come boldly. And as we come into the throne room of the living God, we, we don't find a God of wrath and judgment. It says we, we can come to your throne and find grace. Oh, church, as you have the opportunity to enter his presence and to find his grace, what, what do you want to talk with him about right now? Just take this moment. Maybe you've got something you want to ask for help. Maybe something you want to say thank you. Maybe you want to say you're sorry. What do you want to talk with the Lord right now? Take this moment. Lord, thank you for hearing our words. Thank you that our words and our thoughts, for some reason, are important to you. I don't, I don't know how you do it, Lord. I don't know how you hear each one of us right now. And gosh, it's not just us. It's every believer everywhere in this planet that has just bowed their head in these last few moments. You, you heard all of us. You, you, you understand what's going on in each situation. You have an answer. It's right. It's good. It's perfect. Thank you for hearing us. Lord, maybe if we don't leave with anything else today, it's just a, a, a bit of joy, a, a bit of confidence, a bit of hope, because we've been heard by the living God. And now, Lord, we want to hear from you. Open your word before us. May we hear your voice, your leadership, your guidance in our lives, and, and may we too be responsive. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I have to come out of prayer. and I, You know, when you pray, you're not supposed to come out and say amen and be angry, right? But I, I'm struggling with a little bit of anger, right? They stole it. They stole it. They stole our day. It's my manger. It was our, it was our songs. It was our tree. It was our lights. It, for the love of God, it's not a, a winter break. It's Christmas. Ah! Yeah. You just got to... Come on, you just got to let a little steam off every now and then, right? <laughs> oh, you know, I, I think on different levels we are, we are getting angry. And, and I think if, we're, if we stop and think about it, while, while we maybe feel it a lot right now, I think there's more going on than, than just losing Christmas. You know, I think a lot of Christians right now around our country, we're, we're, we're grieving, not, not just a, a holiday, we're, we're grieving that we're losing a community, a culture that pays homage to our faith. You realize how strange that is, but yet that's what we have enjoyed really for a couple of centuries, right? We've lived in a nation that pays homage to our faith. And, and yet now we feel, don't we, that that's slipping away from us, if, if not having slipped. 
And there's a lot of places. There's a lot of illustrations of how we might see that and feel that and experience. But I think broadly across the family, if you will, there's something about Christmas that that's where it just really hits us. Man, we're losing this thing. We're losing this. Sometimes we lose it in very subtle ways, in, in ways that we're not even that all offended by. I mean, you know, I'll have my uh, radio station parked at 98.1 most of this season. I love the Christmas music on there. I love the songs. Yeah, they're, they're mostly meaningless and irrelevant to any real life that I'm trying to live, but I have fun with them. I like them. Gosh, it'd be nice if every now and then they could sprinkle in a sacred song, right? I mean, I, I know they will. I know they do. They play the sacred music, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. I just can't stay up that late. I'm old. <laughs> you know? And there, there's subtle ways that it's just become less and less and less sacred and more and more secular. Then there's other ways that it's just very aggressive, right? I mean, we'll start hearing the news stories about this individual, that individual that is suing some community over a nativity, I mean, I want to take one of these people out to lunch and say, really? I mean, have you read the news lately? Have you lived in America the last year, the last two years? Last, you, with, with what all we're dealing with, you think, well, I'll tell you what the big answer is. We need to take those nativity sets down. Well, if we could just get rid of the nativities, we'd be a better nation. Really? That's what's going that's what's to solve it all. And and some of us, we all have different personalities. We all engage with this a little bit differently. But there's a, I think there's a good, healthy number of us that we're ready to suit up and go to war, right? Bring it on. Let's fight. I'll fight. I'll fight over how I'm greeted at a retail store. I'm going to fight over the name of that tree. We're ready for war. But what should we be doing? What should we be thinking? How should we be responding? No real shock or surprise here, I hope. I think the New Testament gives us a lot of instruction on this. Gives, gives a lot of direction on how you and I deal with this. Two books or two letters that come to my mind are, are the Apostle Peter when he writes a group of Christians. And you find First and Second Peter near the end of the New Testament. They're short letters. One's five chapters, one's three. You probably can read both of them in 15 minutes. But these letters are largely consumed with the idea, largely consumed with ministering to believers that are greatly suffering at the hands of culture, that are losing at the hands of culture. And you know what? They're not losing a tree. They're not losing a greeting at the mall. You know what they're losing? Their freedom. They're they're losing their lives. As a matter of fact, I would imagine a lot of the Christians Peter was writing to would look at you and me and be stunned. Stunned by the sense of entitlement that we have. Stunned that you and I live in a world where where we actually have in our minds the right to expect a culture to acknowledge our faith. Not only acknowledge and respect our faith, we expect them to celebrate our faith when they greet us. Man, they would have no concept of that. They would have no understanding of that at all. You know, folks, this isn't actually the direction of the message or or what we're doing in this, but I think this is a place to kind of stop and remember, you know, what, what you and I want from a secular mind, from a secular world out there, what we want makes no sense at all. I mean, it really doesn't. And, and yet we expect this of them. And I know we'll respond to that by saying, well, the constitution says, 
Well, our founding fathers in early America was. Well, the Bible, well, theology is all just utterly irrelevant. I'm not saying it's irrelevant because it's wrong. I'm not saying it's irrelevant because it's unimportant. I'm saying it's irrelevant because you don't live in 1750. As a matter of fact, you, you and I don't even live in 1950. We live in 2016. And we are, in fact, a secular culture. Now, here's why I say it's irrelevant that you and I will run to the Constitution or we'll run to this. And by the way, folks, I'm not saying give up on the Constitution. I'm not saying that you or I are wrong for grieving what is happening. No, we grieve. Of course we grieve. Man, for centuries we've had a nation that, that acknowledged God, that acknowledged his ways, and that's slipping away. Of course we're going to grieve that. And, and where we can use the Constitution, where we can use our rights, we should hold on to those things. But I don't think God put me on this earth to trumpet a Constitution. He didn't put me on this earth to trumpet my rights. You know what God left us here for? One word. We are a people of the gospel. We're a people of the gospel. You know what gospel is? Good news. You know what good news is? Communication. The follower of Christ is in the communication business. And when you and I are saying something, when we're communicating something that doesn't make sense, then looking at the crowd we want to communicate to and say, well, y'all are all stupid. Well, you don't know my rights. Well, that might be true, but it, that doesn't communicate, does it? See, I think it's actually our job. It's our responsibility to build a bridge. It's, it's our responsibility to cross it and seek to communicate. You know what Peter did say to all those believers that he was writing to that were suffering and losing so much at the hands of culture? He said this. He said, listen, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you guys are, are suffering because you're living for me, you're trying to be righteous, you're trying to do what I want, say what I want, and, and that's causing you fear, that's causing you harm, that, that, that's calling you, causing you discomfort. Man, listen, good news. You're going to be blessed. The suffering may be for a season. That's what this world brings. That's what you experience in this world. And, and that may happen for you. But for eternity, you'll enjoy blessing. So don't, don't get all tied up in knots. Don't get troubled. Don't, don't be fearful. Here, listen, real simple job. This is what you do as you go out into a culture that does no longer applaud your faith. Here's what you do. You just make it super clear that Jesus is number one in your life. You make it super clear in the way you talk, in your values, in your decisions, in your responses. You make it really, really clear. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing higher. There's nothing more important to me than Jesus Christ. And no, they won't appreciate you for that. But you know what? As you consistently live that way, periodically somebody's going to walk up to you and say, why do you, why do you believe like that? Why, why do you have the hope that you have? And you be prepared to answer. You be prepared to tell them. And when you tell them, oh my gosh, we're not, we're not kicking butt and taking names. Okay? This is, this is not that kind of war. You be gentle. Well, that's not, a, that's not a warrior word, is it? Be gentle. As a matter of fact, even show respect. Respect. Do you notice here it says, when they ask, where does it say that? It says that somewhere in here, being prepared. Who asks? says when they ask. It doesn't say share your hope with them as you shove your version of Christmas down their throat. No, it says when they ask. 
You don't have to force. You don't have to fight when they ask. And with respect. You know what folks respect does? It's, it's respect when I acknowledge that it doesn't make sense for you to celebrate a faith you don't have. It's respect that says, hey, you might be a person of another faith. You might be of no faith. I I respect that, and I don't expect you to celebrate mine. I don't expect you to have mine. That's respect. It's respect that says, I don't expect you to come to me. And the reason I don't expect the world to come to me is because God doesn't tell them to come to me. Did you know there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey world, you're kind of stupid and sinful. Why don't you go to church and learn how to be right? Ah, but he does say something about this problem. He says, hey church, you go to them. I would actually put, I would actually put the word go in maybe one of the top five most important commands in the New Testament. One of the top five, five things that should be driving and shaping our lives with all the commands that are in there, here's the big one. You go. You build the bridge. And folks, here's the exciting thing. And don't get angry about what culture is doing with Christmas. Here's the exciting thing. Believer or unbeliever, we're all kind of thinking and doing the same thing for this month. Think about it. We're all thinking about gifts, right? Maybe a bonus. Anybody think about a bonus? Dear Lord, please, please, please help there to be a bonus. We're thinking about traffic. We're thinking about vacation. We're thinking about family. We're anticipation. You see, these are all, it doesn't matter if I understand the reason for the season or not. We're all kind of thinking and doing the same thing right now. You know, one thing, now this one's not as obvious. It's obvious that we're all experiencing traffic together, right? But we're all experiencing gifts together. Not so obvious, but very much is real. We're all experiencing the question, is there a God and is he interested in me? Now, you and I can't see when that's happening in people. As a matter of fact, let's be honest. We look at a lot of people and we're pretty sure that question's never coming up in their mind, right? It's not true. That question is in the soul of every person. And it bubbles up every now and then. Sometimes an event in their life, sometimes a calendar. A season causes that question to bubble up. And yes, a whole bunch of them will shove that question back down as soon as it rears its head. But sometimes people kind of mull over that question. Christmas can be a time when that is happening for everybody. So you see what happens no matter where we are on this season, no matter what we understand about this season, as we approach the 23rd, the 24th, the 25th, We're all thinking and doing the same thing, whether we're a Christ follower or not. And these commonalities, these things we have in common with culture, not the things we're angry at culture about, the things we have in common with culture, folks, can be a tremendous bridge for you and I back into the Christmas story. And that's what this series is going to be about. I'm going to pull out two or three of these commonalities and we're going to see how we can use them as a bridge into the Christmas story. Each week, I'm going to try to tell you about a three to five minute story out of the Christmas story that you and I can share over one of these things. Now, two of these, December 18th and December 24th and 25th, are going to be the joy of anticipation. Everybody knows anticipation, right? And we're going to see how that can lead us into the Christmas story to share with somebody. And gifts. We all know about gifts. We're going to use that to lead us in. Today, I'm going to use the one that's not as obvious, but very much as real. Is there a God? And is he interested in me? 
Okay, So to do that, to tell the story, first of all, I have to read the backdrop of the story that I'm going to tell. And we will find that in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. You'll find Matthew, first book, first page of the New Testament. Malachi and Zechariah to the left. Mark and Luke to the right, if you're kind of thumbing through there trying to find it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. I am going to read 23 verses. That's a lot. I could lose some of you. We, we, may, we may never get you back. Okay, 23 verses a lot, but it gets much worse than that. Because 23, out of the 23 verses I'm going to read, 17 of them are the dreaded genealogy. And this is the stuff we, re- oh no, that's where we are, and we just, boom, we just shoot to the end of the page. Clearly God has nothing for us in the genealogy. Why would he even put it there? Hey, would you believe that in the genealogy, in this genealogy, there might be an opportunity for you to communicate something to an American mind that is really big right now? Let's see, okay? I'm I'm kind of setting up a guarantee here I hope I can fulfill. Now, look down there on your page. You probably see a lot of names, right? Get ready because we're going to read them. Okay, you see all those names. There are five names in that list I I want you to kind of grab a hold of. If you've got your own Bible and your own writing utensil, pen, pencil, whatever, I'll point them out when I get to them, but you may want to draw a little line, a little asterisk. Five names that we want to use in the story, okay? So let's get going. I've really worked at reading this super fast, so maybe I can drop the loss percentage from 10 down to 5%, okay? Let's see, I'm going to breathe three times in the next five minutes. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Their mother was Tamar. Tamar is the first name. Put a little note by Tamar, a little line by it. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Put a little line, a little mark by Rahab. That's our second name. Boaz was the father of Obed. His mother was Ruth. Put a little note by Ruth, a little mark by Ruth. That's our third name. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. His mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. My guess is whatever text you're reading, it doesn't have the word Bathsheba. It probably says the wife of Uriah or the widow of Uriah. That, that, that's what's actually written there. My text adds Bathsheba because that's who it is. Okay, so just underline Bathsheba, underline wife, underline widow, whatever is there for you, it's all the same person. Verse 7, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, Abijah was the father of Asaph, Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram, Jehoram was the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh was the father of Amos, Amos was the father of Hosiah, Hosiah was the father of Jehoiachin, and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. (sighs) We're two-thirds of the way there. We're almost done. We're rounding the corner. Verse 12, 
After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shatil. Shatil was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azer. Azer was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eluid. Eluid was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, who, praise the Lord, was the husband of Mary. We made it to the end. (laughs) Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to King David and 14 from David's time to the Babylonian exile and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Verse 18, now this is how Jesus, was the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now there's our story, okay? What I'm going to tell in the story draws from all of that uh, to tell a very short story. Now here's what's going to happen. You're going to go throughout this month and people, some of them who are your best friends, your own family, people you love, all the way down to strangers standing in line at the mall, people are going to share with you emotions. We're more open about our emotions this time of year than than at any other time. And we will tell anybody, we will talk to almost anybody with simple statements like this. Can you believe this traffic? How long have you been in this line? Gosh, this schedule is killing me. We'll we'll say these things all month long, won't we? We'll say them to almost anybody. They just opened the gate to their bridge. They just communicated something about what they were feeling during this month, giving you and I the opportunity to communicate the same thing, whether we're in our den or at school or at work or whether we're standing in line at the mall. Now, the story I'm getting ready to tell you is going to take me about four to five minutes to say. You may grab all four to five minutes and try to use that somewhere. I'm going to give you maybe a little bit more than you need so that you have something to draw out of, to work with, and maybe pare that down. There'll be some situations where maybe what we got is about two minutes. Maybe we can get out two whole minutes before they say, thank you, I'm out of (laughs) here. But I'm going to give you four to five, and and then you kind of manipulate and work with the story for the situation. So y'all ready for the story? They they can communicate any message. Man, I'm so excited about the 25th. I can't wait till this is over. They can communicate any kind of thing to which you smile and respond. Man, gosh, I know how you feel. It's a hectic time. It's an exciting time. But I tell you something, I love Christmas. I love Christmas because it gives me a chance to remember there is a God. And he's interested in me. He, He wants me to know him. You know, I know in the Christmas story you read things about, you know, angels and a virgin birth. And gosh, even a little baby that is really the eternal God. And I realize for a lot of people, that's kind of the stuff that, well, myths are made up of, right? Fairy tales are made up of those, those kinds of things. You know, I, I get that, but it's interesting. As you go to the Christmas story, 
Those things are there and they're really important, but they're actually anchored to, they're actually woven into historical events and verifiable people. It it really is tied to that. And that's not the stuff of of myths and fairy tales. As a matter of fact, the the Christmas story starts with a a genealogy. Jesus doesn't need Ancestry.com. He doesn't need to spit in a vial or anything. He knows right where he's from. And and I tell you what, that genealogy is kind of important because it's showing us how God is coming to us. To be honest with you, if I was God, I would have like had a big explosion go off and I would have stepped out through the smoke. Or I'd have been lowered down through the sky almost like an alien and the whole world would be able to see it. But you know, the problem with that is it might scare us, it might amaze us, but we almost always forget that stuff. Rather, God, what the genealogy shows us is God is coming to us in a way so that when we finally get who He is and what He wants to be in our lives, we see Him and we realize, oh, He knows what it's like to live in this thing. He, He knows what it's like to be me, to live here. And so in that genealogy, both the the historical parts that are verifiable and the parts that are maybe take a little bit more faith and harder to believe, in all of that we see how God came to be with us and, and where he came from. You know, in that genealogy, it's really interesting, a lot of names listed there. But five of those names, here's a kind of interesting uh, uh, trivia for you, five of those names are women. Now that doesn't, that doesn't stand out to you and me. But those five names are showing up in a culture that experienced anything but gender equality. A a, a woman in that culture, now you'll notice in the genealogy, very, very patriarchal. It's about the father of this, the father of that, the father. But then appears these these five women. You see, in that culture, women had, had no rights. Women had no say. As a matter of fact, this is how little say a woman had. If she was the only witness to a crime, her testimony could not be presented in court. Because a woman's voice had no value at all, even in a court of law. And so if you were trying to put a story together, if you were trying to build a case for something, you just wouldn't use women to do that. And yet God did. God wove women very prominently, not only into the genealogy, not only into the Christmas story, but he wove them very prominently into the life that Jesus lived on this earth. You want to know something else that's kind of interesting about those five ladies? Three of them were Gentiles. You see, Jesus was a Jew, and he was the Jewish Messiah. And the Bible tells us he is the Messiah for all people. You know what Messiah means? It's like answer to everything. Solution to every problem. That's what Messiah means. And Jesus came to be the answer to everything for everyone. But in the Jewish mindset where this story is being developed, where this story is taking place and being told, they always weren't so interested in other races. They weren't always so interested in other ethnicities. They, they kind of like the purity of our race and, a, and a, messiahity who, a, a messiah who would come and promote our race. And yet as God approaches his people, he brings in these other races, these other ethnicities. You know, not only do we see that in those five women, but two of those five women are immoral. One of them was a prostitute. One of them was an adulteress. Man, in a society that was so built on its, on its religious laws and its religiosity and conformity to that, you just wouldn't tell a story that was based on people who'd stepped outside the lines. 
But see, I'm sharing all that with you to say this. If you were trying to fabricate a God, fabricate a Messiah, for that day and age, for that culture, there's just no way you're going to use women, you're going to use somebody of another race, or you're going to use immoral people. And yet, that's exactly what God does in his genealogy. That's exactly what God does in this story. It's kind of strange to say this, but that genealogy is so messed up, it has to be true. You just wouldn't fake that. But you see what God is doing as he explains how he came to us? Do you realize in his genealogy, God is breaking gender barriers, racial barriers, and moral barriers. Hey, you know, as you read the Christmas story, you may have seen this on a card somewhere or something, but one of the nicknames of Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. And do you know in the genealogy, God is literally saying to you, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, the God with us wants to be God with you. Wants to be God with you. Man, do you realize the Christmas story solves so much of the things we're fighting about in America and trying to figure out in America. And you know what? I know. I know you probably know a Christian or you know some church that in your mind is the whole reason we have all these problems. Yeah, the reason we have all this mess is because of the church and Christians. And and honestly, just being honest here, I don't know that I would entirely agree with you about that. But I get it. I understand. There, there, it's a fact. There's sometimes that an individual Christian or maybe sometimes a church, we don't always do a real good job of representing the story. But man, please don't let my failure at representing the story before you keep you from the story. Because God is real. And he came into this world through his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Merry Christmas. Hope it all works out. And then run. <laughs> no, don't really run. Especially if they have some questions for you, right? No, folks, that's all you do. Tell that story. You lay that out there. You don't have to defend it. You don't have to fight with people about it. You, you don't have to argue about it. Hey, listen, if they have some questions, really don't say Merry Christmas and leave. Some people might have a couple of questions for you. Want to engage that. And let's be honest. Sometimes the reason we don't do something like that is because we're afraid people might ask us questions, right? Anybody feel good about looking stupid? I, I mean, I don't. I don't want to start something where I know once this gets rolling, I got a real chance to look dumb. No, so we we don't ever get started. But you realize you don't have to answer everybody's questions. You you don't have to know all the answers. You know what you can say is, man, I don't know. That's a good question. I've kind of thought about myself. You know what? I go somewhere every Sunday and we're trying to hassle through, trying to work through some of those questions. Why don't you go with me? Because you know what, folks? There actually shouldn't be a week during the month of December that we're not thinking about somebody to bring to church, right? Why? Because right now there is a chance bubbling in their soul is, is there a God? And is he interested in me? I mean, truth of the matter is we should be asking people to church every week of the year, right? But right now, they're maybe thinking about it a little bit. Right now, every week we should be thinking about who we can invite. Now, let's be honest, and this is another reason we don't talk. We don't like to get sideways with people I mean, yeah, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to be halfway through that story. Or, or, or maybe you make it to the end of the story and they are not interested. And that's the best thing we can say, right? They're not interested in your story and they're out of here or they want to start it. That's okay. 
As a matter of fact, your response to that is, hey man, listen, I know this is a hectic time of year and I just like burned up two of your minutes. I'm sorry about that, but I do hope you have a great Christmas. That's it. No, no more, I know my charge. My charge is to communicate and to do it gently and respectfully. That's my charge. Not to fight about a tree. And not to proclaim what my rights are. It's to communicate there's a God and he's super interested in you. He loves you, right? Now think about what we did in that story. Just a couple of things. First of all, we acknowledge that faith is difficult, right? I mean, virgin births, that it doesn't happen every day, right? Yeah, we, we acknowledge that faith is difficult. We acknowledge hypocrisy. Now, we might agree or disagree about how much hypocrisy there is, but it's there. And you think about it, a lot of times when we're sharing the story, what are the two things people try to shut us down with? Oh, the Bible is just full of fairy tales. I don't know how you can believe in that. Well, you're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You see, by acknowledging that right up front, we've done two things. Number one, maybe we've opened their heart to listen to us a little bit because we're communicating that we get what they feel. That's kind of respecting somebody, isn't it? Hey, I want to acknowledge what can be a very natural way to feel about all this. So we're kind of acknowledging them. The second thing we're doing is we're taking the club out of their hands. Hey, yeah, there's hypocrites. Hey, yeah, some of this stuff is a little bit challenging to believe in. It, it takes some real faith to really hold on to that idea. But the other thing we did in this story is we clearly and profoundly communicated our faith in the supernatural. Because we do believe in the supernatural here at the Heights, don't we? Yeah, I was a little bit hard of your amen would be super encouraging. Yeah, we believe in the supernatural. But understand, as we communicated the supernatural, we did the same thing God does. We anchored it to, we wove it through historical events. Verifiable people. And you know what, folks? When they walk away from talking to you, they agreed with you, disagreed with you. They had questions, they had no questions. They cut you off in the middle of it. Let me give you a guarantee. Somewhere between 30 seconds after walking away with you and the next 30 days, they are absolutely going to think about what you said to them. They are absolutely 100% of the time. Now, some of them, that moment that thought comes up, they will do everything they can to shove it right back down. But they're going to engage with what you said. You know, I said that today's commonality was this idea, is there a God? You know, a lot of times when we think about, is there a God? We're getting ready to line up our debate, right? Debating the existence of God, how we deal with evolution, why we believe the Bible. And I didn't cover any of that, did I? And yet, I very clearly said, there is a God, and he's interested in you. And I promise you, when they think about that thought, they're not thinking about evolution, or the truth of Scripture, or the Big Bang Theory, or any of those other things. They're engaging with the statement of your faith. Amen? Amen. Now, what, what, now here's the challenge, because you're probably thinking, now, Pastor, you don't think as you rattle through that story that I can now turn around and do that. Well, yeah, yeah, you can. I, I promise you, if you'll work with the story a little bit, it's really, if you look at Matthew 1 and you look at the story, it's just kind of one idea to the next idea. And, and I think you can get through that in somewhere to two to five minutes. How do you get this story? You know, you can go to our website and you can listen to the message again. It's usually up by Monday or Tuesday. Listen to the, you don't even have to listen to the whole message again. Just fast forward to where I say, and this is the story. 
And just listen to that several times over. You can get our church app. I don't know how many of you have our, our church app. Go to your app store, search the Heights Baptist Church, and there's a little black square with our logo in the middle of it. It's an awesome app. You get a Bible reading plan in there, devotions. You can get place to take notes, and you can get the sermon. So that's another way just to access each week the, the sermon real quickly and get to that. If you're looking for it, well, can I, 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 I don't always do well with just hearing. Can I get it in written form? Uh, you can. The way I'm going to make it available today Today, I'm going to put it on our church Facebook page uh, in just a little bit, and I'll put it on my Facebook page. Uh, if, you don't, if you're not friends with me and you're interested in that, Randall T. Hahn. Randall T. Hahn. If you search Randy Hahn, you'll get my son, and he'll probably like block you or something, you know, un- unfriend you for life. But search Randall T. Hahn, and uh, I'm going to post that today. And oh, won't we be excited because we'll share that post to our own page and we think, oh man, we're sharing the story with the whole world. Eh, probably not. I mean, let's be honest. When you're reading somebody's post, you read those three or four lines and then you see that see more, continue reading. Do you all click on that? No, you don't click on it. Don't lie. Now you, boom, you just hit like and move on. You know, so maybe, maybe a lot of people won't read it because we posted it. But you know what? One person might. One might read it. And so I'll, I'll post, but that, whether they read it or not, I'll post it, you can share it to your page, then you've got a chance to copy and, and print it or, or just read over it. And I really believe if you'll read through that a couple, I team, a couple times, you'll see there's kind of a simple flow to it. And then you just got to be ready when you're standing in line and somebody says, can you believe this? Hey man, listen, I understand. I love Christmas. And I want to tell you, it gives me such a great opportunity to know there's a God and, and he's interested in me. And you start the story, amen? What if... What if all three services, two campuses, what if, what if some 2,000 of us just shared today's story with one person this month? I'll be honest with you, I don't think we can actually imagine the profound impact we could have on the soul of our culture. Listen, we need to hold on to our constitution. But folks, the Constitution is not my avenue to the soul of another person. The Gospel is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, would you guide me, guide us to that one person. Give me boldness. Give me clear thought. And God, open their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.